Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that will inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about how to convert shiny object syndrome into an eight-figure business, and we'll do that with Andy Hooper. Now, Andy is, a, is the CEO of Global E-Commerce Experts and has been successfully expanding businesses into new markets for over 15 years. As an accomplished specialist in e-commerce, Andy now works with companies around the world providing comprehensive gateways into solutions for new markets, especially for U.S.-based companies trying to get into the European Union. Andy, it's fantastic to have you here today, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It sounded like a very glorious introduction there, so thank you. Yeah, well, it fits you to a T. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but you're very kind. Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. So, Andy, tell us, uh, in your business, who do you serve? So, I, I, used, I used to be able to put this straight off the pattern. The first thing I'd always go to is, who do we serve from a business point of view? And I, I'll come on to that in a moment. But actually, now, as the CEO of this business, we, to be quite honest, I serve our team. Our team are... You're growing every day. You know, we had an induction of another seven or eight people last week. Um, we'll have another induction of more of those next week or the week after. I think every three or four weeks they are now. And, you know, I, really, I'm here to serve them because they're serving our clients. And obviously the business is serving one set of people. But really, I'm here to our staff, our team members, the people that are delivering day in, day out for our customers and clients. So first of all, I serve our team. Secondly, I serve you know, e-commerce sellers or brands expanding into Europe. And that's it. But then I should say successfully expanding to Europe. Now, having said that, that my staff or the team and who we serve from a business point of view, my wife's going to be really disappointed if I don't say I serve my family too. But uh, I think we all get that as a given these days. But it's well, not we a given. All, we all should, for sure. So, yeah, exactly. uh, so uh, go through that group of that, those, uh, those three stakeholders one more time and tell us about the problems you solve for people. Yeah, I think so. When we're successfully expanding e-commerce brands into Europe, what we looked at was you know, as people expand into a new market, there's so many different things that they need to be able to do. And the problem when you're expanding to them, if anyone has tried to sell something in a foreign market or know, there's loads of these different problems you come across. There's your governments, there's compliance, there's shipping, there's logistics. There's all of these different things. So, so what we do is we basically break down those problems to make it as streamlined and simple for people as possible. Because when you're trying to expand, you know, it's like, oh, well, I can't do it because this, oh, well, this is a problem. Oh, that's a problem. And basically what we do is we take all of those problems under one roof and we've created a turnkey solution so that you, when people are expanding, they only need one service provider and one service provider only. And basically, we solve the problem and make it easy when you expand to a new market. Okay, that also explains when you say you had you bring team members in in sort of batches. 
That sounds like when you're onboarding a new client, you're going to need a multiple team people to solve, help work with them. Yeah, well, uh, there's a number of different areas of that. I mean, yeah, we are bringing in you know, batches. We probably bring in five to 10 people, new people in every month as we're growing. And the reason for that is because we're growing and scaling that quickly that we have to bring that many people on across all of the different areas we do. And that could be a, you know, a warehouse operative to a department manager and everywhere in between. And that includes the cleaners, the service engineers, and the, the building maintenance. So, you know, all of them, they're not necessarily always roles that are dedicated to client interaction in its purest sense, but they're, they're, they're always roles that enabling the business to move forward. Okay, beautiful. That brings me to my next question then. And so, uh, Andy, tell us how you uh, typically go about solving uh, somebody's problems. And so maybe maybe the best way to go through this would be for you to think about a, a recent client or maybe a long-term client of yours and, and, and think about a case study and walk us through how they found you, how you, how you identified what, they, what you needed to do to help them, then how the solution got in place and then how month after month after month you go about servicing them. So a case study, if you need two case studies to kind of explain your differentiation and go pound on it. Nice. Okay. So when you are, we, we've created a seven step formula to expand into a new market, really straightforward, really easy. So, but really I can break that down from seven into three for, for ease. And that's compliance logistics and account management. So when you're expanding into a new market, virtually everything comes under those three areas. So we're very fortunate that we've grown and scaled our business on some epic partnerships. You know, we work with the global leading marketplaces that everybody would have heard of. And what they do is they are contacting the people that are currently on their platforms around the world and say, hey, you're selling really well. Why don't you expand to Europe? And of course, some of them go, hey, well, that's a great idea. I'd love to do that. And before they got in contact with us, what happened is they'd say, oh, well, in order for you to expand, you need to talk to one service provider over here, another one over here, another one for this and another one for that. And the problem when people, you tell people that is they're like, it just seems too complicated. So what they do now is they go, well, when you expand, oh, just talk to Andy's team and he'll sort you out for everything you need. They're working with thousands of our clients already. They'll make it happen. So typically, the majority of our clients come in through a partner. So, and I would say that 80% of our business is partner-led by probably 10 to 15 really strong partnerships that give us the majority of that business. And the rest are sort of smaller partnerships where we might get one a month. So so the, these partnerships, are, I'm envisioning these are are... are... Uh, uh, logistics partners and uh, transportation partners and that type of thing, or they're different kind of partners than what I'm thinking. No. So these partners are marketplaces. So the oh, places okay. where e-commerce, their products around the world on all those marketplaces and websites, they're the ones saying, Hey, use these guys. Over. And then they come to us for compliance, logistics, and account management. And we wrap that all up all under one roof. So that's okay. how a, a client would typically find us, you know, that typical client, I can think of a handful, what they'll be looking for is they're like, okay, so I want to expand to Europe. First of all, is my product going to sell in Europe? So the first thing we need to do is prove and look at, will their product sell? So that's the first thing you do. Then you move on. Okay. So your product's going to sell. 
what do I need to do next? We need to make sure your product is compliant with the regulations. So you get your product compliant. The next thing is once the product is compliant, you need to make sure your business is compliant so that you can pay taxes to the governments so that when you're selling something, they're not, the government's not going to get cross, right? So that's the next thing. Then you're going to need to ship some products and do customs. You get your products to one location to another. Then you're going to need to find somewhere to sell the products. So, you know, when I think about all those different people that we, we serve and those, you know, that, that typical client, what they're looking for is you know, making the process simple and easy and driving their business growth. And most of them will be a point where in their current market, let's say they're a US-based e-commerce seller, they've, they've sort of capped out the market or they're, you know, they're finding that people are selling their products in other parts of the world and they need to expand their brand. One, to make sure someone else don't steal their products and get the market lead in another country, which could easily happen. Secondly, they've capped the market growth in the country that they're already majority selling in. And thirdly, as a, as a business owner or an entrepreneur, the ego of growing and scaling a international business. And, uh, you know, there's a whole load of revenue and things that come into that. But typically, they're the three things. They've identified the need that a product's going to sell in Europe. And they're like, how do I make it happen? So, Andy, the next question is, there's, I'm familiar with, and I can imagine that you're familiar with dozens and dozens, a hundred maybe, of other people who are competing in your spaces, you know, if you will, e-commerce consultants. Yep. So they're out there at the Red Ocean. Everybody's doing this and that and the other thing. So tell us how you're different than competition and why our listeners should be talking to Andy Hooper and not somebody else out there in the world someplace. Yes, yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, there are thousands of service industries, thousands service them. providers providing services to e-commerce sellers. Fact. What makes us completely different is that no one, no one in the world has all of the services under one roof. So when you're expanding to Europe, you do only need one service provider. That's it. You don't need one to do the shipping, one to do your VAT, one to do your uh, product compliance, one to do your warehousing. Literally everything is solved for you so that you don't need to work anywhere else. And the advantage of that is because we do all of the bits under one roof, a complete turnkey solution, is that the consultancy just comes for free with it because we totally understand the market. And when you understand the end-to-end -end piece of the market, you're not selling just one service. So you're not giving advice based on the one service that you sell. So if you are, and let's put it into the minds of the sellers that are listening right now, you've got sales tax in, in the States, right? You're an e-commerce brand or even just a business in the States. What happens is, is that you need to sell those products in all those different places. Well, if you're dealing with your accountant, your accountant is going to give you one piece of advice. Right. Your warehouse is going to give you another piece of advice. Your account management team who run your Amazon account for you, for example, are going to give you another piece of advice. But the problem with that is you then get conflicting pieces of informa information based on the skills they have in each service area. The advantage of us is because one, we do it all under one roof. You don't need any other service provider. Secondly, we give you unbiased opinion based on what 
what's right for your brand at the right time, not what's best about us selling the most possible because we can only sell one area of the business to you. So you get the free consultancy and you get the turnkey solution all in one that nobody else can do. So I'm envisioning that uh, your clients would stick with you for a long period of time. There'd be no reason. You're not a project oriented organization. You are a, you're a partner and you're going to help these people as they move into Finland and into Sweden and into, into Switzerland, et cetera. They're, you're going to be there. Most of your partners are probably been with you and intend to be with you indefinitely. And that seems to me to be a huge difference between you guys and the competition as well. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, we see ourselves as a strategic partner. So when people are expanding with a strategic partner that advises them and then make sure that with the data of the thousands of clients that we serve, giving them the best consultancy to make sure that they're, they're successfully expanding. Because our motto is successfully expanding e-commerce brands into Europe. So it's not about making a quick buck on, on some freight or a quick buck on the VAT because we want them to be long-term partners. And the reason that we've scaled and grown year on year is because our clients exactly that stay with us year on year because we grow with them. You know, they're growing, we're growing. You know, we can see the strategic partnership growing and we have great relationships with our clients. That's what they want. They want a strategic partner that's going to advise them. They, you know, if they're based in the States or you know, Australia or Asia, they're unlikely to get to Europe on a regular basis, especially during COVID for the last two years. So, you know, actually the ability of having someone in, in region they can talk to and discuss, you know, whether you're talking to me or one of the team that's based in the Netherlands or Spain or Italian or in French, you get that European vibe. And that's really important to our clients. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. So you've done a fantastic job of, of identifying who you serve. I like the way you transition into, you know, what the problems these people share. And in your case, it's a long list of problems that, that you've been able to uniquely one identify and two solve with one interaction that your client to you guys, I think we understand really well your business, at least, you know, in the short period of time, we had a chance to uh, uh, listen to you. So what I'd like to do now with your permission, uh, Andy, is talk about how you went about building global e-commerce experts. Maybe take us back, maybe prior to when you founded the firm and, and, and walk us through sort of the major milestones, maybe, maybe identifying some of the super successes that you had, maybe yep. some of the problems. And what I think our listeners would like to hear, Andy, is for you to identify, you know, I made this mistake and I learned the following. And uh, that'd be fantastic. So go ahead and, and tell us your, your story. And then I'd, I'll interrupt, uh, raise my hand from time to time. <laughs> clarification. Yeah, great. Okay. I, I mean, there's, yeah, there's so many mistakes along that journey. I'll try and fit as many in uh, relevant as to, to, to give you a snippet along that. Otherwise, we could be here a very long time. So... I think that the, I think the key thing for, for me was, and this comes back to the shiny object syndrome is that, you know, I've, I've run lots of different businesses over the past. I've had a wedding photography business. I've had a 3d printing business, a sports consultancy. We've sold stuff on Amazon. We've flipped stuff on eBay. We even looked after people's dogs when they went on holiday to earn some extra cash. So, you know, typically I had a job. And I was very, very happy in my job. It was a, I, my job was to get more people into sailing. 
like, and I talked about sailing all day, every day. It was absolutely gold. I loved it. The problem with anything that you really, really, really love doing, and I don't just mean you, you, if you love what you're doing, you get up every day and all the rest of it. I, I get that from a business point of view, but when you really love doing something, the problem with that is you don't pay any money. And the, the advantage of that was that I then had to be resourceful to try and find other ways of making cash. So I, I could spend a lot of time on that story, but basically we got to 2008 and the financial crash and I was employed. I had some credit card debt of 5,000 pounds. Like now I'd laugh at five and 5,000 pounds worth of debt across everything we do because it's just, but at the time when you've got, when someone else controls your finances, 5,000 pounds is a lot of cash. And at that point in 2008, when the cards were coming, the, the um, credit cards were closing in essentially and giving you less and less credit, there was less room to maneuver. At that point, I made a, a switch that said, no point in the future do I ever want someone to be able to dictate how much I can. Now, obviously, you know, clients still dictate to me how much I earn, but I'm a bit more flexible on how much money I may or may not take from, from the business, whether I want to grow it or don't want to grow it. It's more in my control is what I'm getting to. So that was the initial starting point. And that's when we then started doing all these other things. I was doing stuff on Amazon and eBay and you know, selling, selling stuff in e-commerce. And in 2016, the rules changed for sellers based outside of Europe and they had to be VAT registered and the platforms were making it compulsory. Uh, I mean, the rules were always, they had to do it, but it wasn't compulsory. So the rules changed. And at that point I saw an opportunity. I was talking to a friend who was an accountant and we basically came up with this idea that, okay, there's an opportunity here. How about with my knowledge of e-commerce, your accounting expertise, let's pull this together and let's see what we can make happen. And that was sort of the, the birth, if you like, of something quite exciting. So that's where Global E-Commerce Experts really started. When we started, we were really solving the problem of VAT. That was the problem. So it was solved. People were based in the States. They wanted to sell their products in Europe. The regulations changed and we saw the opportunity to, to solve the problem. So we solved the problem. We started doing VAT. And then what happened was... Oh, before, before you jump past that, yeah, uh, yeah. how did you get your initial client or two or three or five? So we started just trawling LinkedIn. So okay. we were just trawling LinkedIn, trying to find people, looking for people that were e-commerce sellers. We were looking on Facebook groups and Facebook pages, basically anywhere we could go to find some people. And then that sort of yeah, that then sort of scowled. We then looked at, I knew someone who knew someone at Amazon. So we started talking to them. You know, we started talking to some of these key partners and then it was like, right, partnerships. How do we create partnerships? Who's talking to the clients that we want to talk to? And that's when we started creating partnerships. Okay, and great. we started with a handful in sort of 2016. But I mean, the company officially didn't start until 2017 in July. So we had sort of nine months where we started building this, gaining some traction. And really it was the beginning of 2017. We noticed that partnerships was going to be the key way to go, having learned from all the other businesses we've done. So I'd learned from, you know, building businesses, you know, whether it was your know, wedding photography business, you know, most people would be able to understand that sort of method. You know, you're dealing with one person, you're selling yourself a, 
wedding fair and you're trying to sell your services type stuff, Google ads or whatever. But I worked out that if you was, if you was really good friends with a hotel, a hotel would say, Hey, talk to these guys. They'll sort you out. They do loads of weddings here. And that partnership model was what really looked and focused us to think partnerships is the way to go. So that's what we started basically trawling and we were okay, we great. Were probably faking it a little bit of how big we were to a degree. We were confident in what we could do, what we could deliver and how we could make it happen. But we probably made ourselves look a little bit bigger than we actually were. At the you, time. Were, you were emulating a puff fish. Yes. Very, very, yes, that'd be very nice. That's probably a very good way of putting it. I might, I might steal that if that's all right. So yeah, so we, so that was the first part. We, we got that up and running, but this is now where the shiny object syndrome really kicks in because when you start working with a group of people, a community of sellers, what happens is, is you, they start talking to you, start building up relationships. And at that point, they start talking to you and saying, oh, yeah, well, we're really struggling with this. Yeah, we want to expand. We're expanding, but this is the problem. And the first next problem was we need a warehouse. We need somewhere to send our returns to. We need somewhere to send stock into before it goes into an Amazon warehouse, for example. And I was like, oh, well, okay, yeah, let me see what I can do. And it just so happens that the, where our office was, was next door to what used to be a riding stables. And uh, so there was a stables and arena and they'd made the stables in an arena into a warehouse. And it just so happened that there was a small piece of warehouse that was available. So we took it. So, so, it, so, was, so did it have a dirt, was it a dirt floor? No, no, no. It had been converted into a warehouse. It had already been converted. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It had, yeah, sorry. That, that's probably a bit rough and ready. Yeah. It had already been converted into a warehouse. It burnt down. They converted into a warehouse. Okay. And we were like, well, let's take a, let's take a piece of that, right? I should say it was the stables that, that burnt down, not the warehouse, just in case anyone's worrying about their stock in our warehouse. But yeah, so then, so then we got this little warehouse. It was 1500 square foot, which if anyone can imagine a warehouse is about the size of my office now, probably it was tiny, but it was enough room to get some returns in to receive some stock and solve a problem for our clients. So that was the next problem that we o o overcame, if you like. And then this shiny object syndrome, just, it just kept on happening. So as entrepreneurs, it's like, Oh, there's a new project and off I go. Well, what happens is, is if you really focus on serving a community and really focus on doing the best you can for them, what you do is you, you, you absorb yourself into the whole ethos of everything they do. And what happens is, is by being on, let's say Facebook groups. And, you know, when you listen to this, there might be a LinkedIn group or there might be a TikTok group or whatever, right? The, the medium might change. Sorry, the channel might change, but the medium won't, right? It's yeah. about being social and learning about your environment. You know, there might be meetups, there might be, you know, webinars, there might be Zoom meetings, whatever. But it's about absorbing yourself into the community. And what happens is, is as an entrepreneur, you're constantly looking for these new, not, you're not doing it on purpose, but you're constantly thinking about these new projects. Your mind's constantly going. But when you start serving a community, you start seeing the problems that they've got. And when you're already working with one client that need, that's you know, expanding to Europe, let's say, we're doing their VAT, we're now doing their warehouse. When they come to you and say, oh, well, I've been kicked off of Amazon because you know my label isn't compliant. 
oh, well, I can solve that problem because we, how do we do that? Well, we go and solve that. We work with training standards here in the UK. We work with whoever in Europe. Okay, fine, done that. Okay, now there's a new problem. What's the new problem? Well, you know, now we need, you know, the container prices are too expensive because China's gone ballistic. Okay, well, let's create a shipping company so we can reduce the cost of containers to make it more affordable for our clients. Great, done. Problem, clients need translations. Okay, translations, solve the problem. And what happens is, is the clients, the more you have, um, immerse yourself with your client, you understand what's the problem. We got all of our team, we've always wanted to be talking to our clients. And the one question I've asked them to stay is, talk me through how your expansion is going or how is your expansion going, right? Create a conversation from that. And what happens is, is when I can no longer have that conversation because I can't speak to everyone, I've now got 50 people saying to our clients, talk me through how your expansion's going. And of course, what happens from that is they come back and say, oh, it's going really well, but I'm struggling with X. And that's how we created the shiny object syndrome into a focused business that helped us to scale and grow by asking one question. Tell me through how your expansion's going. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was actually going to ask you that question and you, you nailed it because I was wondering how in the world did you create the, the, the persona of being somebody that your client is going to be candid with? And that's that question. So uh, you're, I think out of that, our listeners would, 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 you'd be saying, regardless of who your client is, figure out one question which would get them to divulge what their next issue is, and you may or may not be able to handle them. And in your case, you decided, I'm, everything that I hear, I'm going to solve the problem. Exactly. That, that. You know, what, a beautiful, what, a, what a beautiful. So when you onboard new team members, you have a half a day, I'm imagining, teaching them how to ask this one question. Exactly that. It's that how, how do you do that? And I think, so coming back to my sailing world, you know, I already talked about the sailing. Right. Know, I'm a sailing coach. That's what I love. I love coaching people and that ability to teach someone to sail. You know, when you're in a boat and you're teaching someone, you've got to be able to have communication with them. And it doesn't matter whether you're teaching someone to sail a boat or to ride a bike. Those coaching skills you can utilize and capitalize when you're running a business as well. And that doesn't matter whether it's with us, your, your team, your staff, or your clients. And we're all guilty of not doing that enough with our team. We're all guilty of that. And, you know, I could ask my team more and more questions every single day to coach them, to get more from them, to get them better. But that's not always possible because sometimes things happen quickly. But with your clients, it's exactly that. You know, you should be coaching your clients, have a conversation and you understand. So I think that gives you some of those. I mean, there's a whole load of other hiccups we had along that journey. And I think the one other thing that I would, I think is the critical thing. If you really want to scale and grow a business is that people talk about growth pains. And when you're starting a business and someone says growth pains, you laugh at them. You're like, I'm not going to have growth pains. Of course I'm not. What a pleasure that would be. You're like, you don't have, and you literally do not believe a single word that someone says when they say growth pains. And it doesn't matter. At some point, 
it will hit you, right? It doesn't matter whether it's going from 100,000 to 200,000 or from one to two million or two to 20. It will hit you at some point. And the one thing that I noticed, the reason it happened for us, and I can't say this would be the reason for everybody, but this is the one thing that I learned absolutely crucially, and I should have known better, is we had a system and a process for everything. We've always done that in most cases. The question is, are those systems and processes robust enough when a problem hits? Because it doesn't matter how good your system and process is, if it's not managed effectively enough, it doesn't matter on the system and process because it literally goes to pot. And I think coming back to something that, you know, we've all got a plan until you're punched in the face and then it goes right out the window. And that couldn't be further said for your systems and processes. And when you're scaling, that is have a system and have a process, make sure it's managed, but make sure you have a, a way of reviewing the system and process to change it, no matter how painful. And they're the two things I think I would advise everyone, one, have a great question. You can ask your, quest, your clients to get a thing. Tell me for how your expansion is going. And secondly, have a robust systems and processes management structure to change it and adapt it rather than being quite robust. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So tell us, what's holding you back right now, right after Easter 2022? I think the key thing that's holding us by back right now is having enough people trained and ready to fire on all cylinders so you you go through this process it's really so what you don't want to do is break people right because breaking people is really difficult but when you're growing quickly how do you know when someone's at capacity and when they've only at 50 percent capacity and at what point do you bring somebody else in to do the role on top of and that's been a really delicate balance. You know, we've we've learned a lot in that process again, you know, understanding where people's strengths and weaknesses lie, you know, understanding how many people can cope with, you know, deal with, both from a client point of view, but uh, and a service level, but also from a, a personal point of view. So I think the one thing that's holding us back right now is the right number of people in the right place to be able to continue scaling and growing as we go. And we, I, we, I don't know whether we've solved it, but we're about to put a complete training plan in place. So we're going to bring in 24 people that are either apprentices, manage, senior admin trainees, if you like, and graduates. So we're going to bring 24 people in a process. One of the things that I was reading, or was listening on a podcast, one or the other, someone said to me, you if you want to be a hundred million business, you got to start thinking like a hundred million business. Mm -hmm. And when I started looking at these hundred million pound dollar businesses, whatever, they've all got these significant training programs in place. Now you, we're not bringing in a hundred people, but if we can bring in 24, which we can train right at the beginning and bring them through, I'm hoping that's going to solve not necessarily our problems, but what they will do is they will help us to scale and grow. So the one thing holding us right back is the right people in the right place to be able to exponentially deliver for our clients. Okay, great, great, great. That's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
So we've got all kinds of people listening to us right now. We've got potential uh, team members for you. You've got potential companies that want to sell into Europe e-commerce wise. You've got potential partners. Tell us how can all those people get a hold of you? So there's a number of different ways. Probably the easiest is to go to LinkedIn and look for Andy Hooper. I'm the go-to guy for e-commerce sellers expanding to Europe. Or look up global e-commerce experts, LinkedIn, Facebook, I don't know, wherever social media platform you're on, or the website, and we're going to come up. Uh, love to have a conversation with people to, you know, I just love talking about people expanding to Europe because I think it's wicked, I think it's cool, and I think every business should do it. Secondly, I love talking to business owners about their businesses because every, although e-commerce is generally relatively, you know, it's e-commerce, actually everyone's route into is different. Everyone's exit out will be different. Uh, and every product is completely different. And that story of business owners, you know, I, I, you know I, I've not been there and done it all. And every time I speak to someone, I learn something new, you know, whether they're just starting off in e-commerce and they've never sold anything. And you could argue from a business point of view, we're a bit further down the line. Or for those that are you turning over half a billion on e-commerce, you know, I'm talking to people all levels. And actually, I learn something every single time. Like, Bill, we've, we've learned things when we've had our conversations in the past. Mm -hmm. And for me... You, you just, you've got to absorb and learn. And I'm here to absorb and learn and have a conversation. So if anyone wants to get in contact, happy to have a conversation, expanding to Europe, growing businesses. It's what I love talking about. You can get me on LinkedIn, Andy Hooper, or one of our you know, social media channels. Beautiful, beautiful. So tell me, is there a question that you were hoping for me to ask you and I didn't do it? And so if there is, well, what's that question, Andy? And then give us the answer to the question I did not ask you. I think the one thing that would have been good from a listener's point of view is, is it's all very well, but how do you keep on um, adapting as you go through? And I guess the, the, the answer would be, you know, I've, I've, I've had businesses where we've made 10 pounds. I've had businesses where we make significantly more than that. But what happens is, is you learn every step. So the first business was dog sitting. So people would go on holiday. They, they we'd look after their dog and we'd, we, I don't know, get 40 pound, 50 pound. I can't remember how much it was, but it's not a lot of cash, right? We then had a business where we flip stuff on eBay, where we'd go to a car boot sale or a yard sale in the States. We'd find stuff, we'd then sell it on eBay. We might make three pound per one, whatever. You know, we then had a wedding photography business where we made 25,000 a year. We then had a 3D printing business where it's 50,000 a year. Then a sports consultant that did a hundred. Each point, you know, we've then scaled. And then this one, we've just talked about getting to eight figures, you know, every single time I've had to adapt and learn, because the one thing that's got me to 10,000 pounds, then a hundred thousand, then a million, then five, then 10 has been different every single time. So the key secret there is, is you as an individual, as a business owner, have to constantly learn along that process. And I've always been really good at you thinking about what I've done, you looking, thinking about what I could have done differently and what do I would do differently to avoid that happening again or to speed up the process. So that I've always done. And that's my coaching piece. You know, you teach someone to learn to sell, you tell them what, what to do. You then coach them through it and you get them to then tell you what they could have done better in order to sell faster. Right. 
So what we, what I then start doing that on myself. And then I start thinking, well, maybe somebody else could help me with this. What is somebody else already doing that I want to do? So let's say it's marketing, right? I then started listening to marketing podcasts. I then listened to sales podcasts. I then listened to entrepreneur podcasts. I then looked at business acquisition podcasts. I then, and the list goes on. But the point is, I educated myself along the journey every single step in order for me to get to the next level. And that wasn't necessarily always through planning. Sometimes that was just luck. I'm listening to someone on a podcast or I'm watching a YouTube video or I'm at an event and someone says something. I'm like, ah, I like that. How do I go away and do that? Or how do I go and learn that? And it's not always planned. You sometimes you have a little bit of, you listen to what you enjoy and see what sticks. Beautiful. That's fantastic. I love that. That, that eight, that was happened to be the eighth question I on my list and I didn't have it. So beautiful. What a great answer. Mr. Hooper, it's been fantastic having you here with us today. Indeed. It's been amazing. Thank you very much, Bill. Once again, for your time, it's great to uh, spend some time with you and, and share some, hopefully some valuable tips people might get something from. We'll get it. We'll keep it going. My friend, everybody look in closing, Let's focus on a single fact, and that is that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management. And number three, leveraging high-performance teams, whether or not they're inside your organization or their outside resources like Andy Hooper right here with his fantastic team right there in the London suburbs, I believe is where he is. So thanks for listening, Andy. Thanks again for being here with us. Thank you. 